Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, uh, we are finishing up the series, Jesus Inside Out, and um, to kick off, I, maybe it was like 10 years ago or so, I watched a a 60 minutes um, episode on a, a town. The, the name of the town was Cateura. It's a, a little small town outside of Asuncion, Paraguay. And um, this town kind of just happened. It was, this town is famous for two things. It's famous for number one, for this huge dump that was basically built there. Uh, Asuncion is the biggest city in Paraguay. And so they, they made this new dump outside of, the, outside of the capital city. And so as the dump started developing and growing, you know, they dumped 1,500 tons of trash there every single day. As it started happening, a town basically grew above this dump. The name of the town is Cateura. There's now like 2,500 residents there. Nearly 100% of them work as garbage pickers at the dump. That's what their job is. Very poor, very terrible living conditions. Some parts do not have running water. Some parts do. It's just, it's not a very uh, healthy place to be. And so that's, that's what this dump is known for. It's known for I mean, this, this town is known for. It's known for a dump. The second thing it's known for, though, it's known for a, for a beautiful orchestra, now, you wouldn't normally think that, like an orchestra in a town that, was, that came out of a dump where garbage pickers live. It just doesn't make any sense, right? And so this orchestra is, is even more unique because it's an orchestra of children. And they play instruments that are made out of trash. Okay? A guy by the name of Fabio Chavez, he's the originator of this. He was a recycling engineer working for the, for the dump. But he was also a born-again Christian, and he was also um, a, 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 like a professional musician. And so he looked around, he saw the desperate need in this town, he saw the poverty, he saw the horrible living conditions, and he said, I've got to do something about this. So he started this small little uh, like music school on this dump, and, uh, and thinking, you know, there's going to be a few people, hopefully he'll find some savants in this, in this group, and they'll rise out of the dump, you know, and that's kind of how he was thinking about it. But before long the school just filled up and he didn't have enough instruments. So he reached out to a guy named Nicolas Gomez who, um, who was a, a trash picker and he was known among the, the trash pickers as a person who would just recycle trash and make pretty interesting things out of it. So he reached out to Nicolas Gomez and Nicolas Gomez started finding trash and he started making musical instruments out of this trash he would recycle. A cello, is made out of an oil can, an old oil can, and old cooking tools. A flute is made from discarded pipes. Drum heads for drums came from old x-ray films. Violin was made out of a beat-up aluminum salad bowl. And so he would just create these instruments. So take a look. Ríos Bogado, tengo 13 años y toco el violín. 
Me llamo Juan Manuel Chávez, más conocido como Baby. Tengo 19 años y toco el chelo. Este chelo está hecho de una lata de aceite, la madera tirada en la basura y las clavijas son de una vieja cuchara para golpear la carne y para hacer el ñoquis. Y suena así. tener un violín. De hecho, el violín, un violín cuesta más que su casa. En ese grupo acá mismo encontramos el colado de violín. Y de ese empezamos los instrumentos reciclados. que acá vive, recicla todo lo que hay en la basura y se vende. No pensaba antes que yo voy a hacer esa tremenda. Y me siento demasiado feliz cuando estoy viendo a un niño que está tocando un violín reciclado. Cuando ya escucho el sonido del violín siento como mariposa en el estómago, así una sensación que no sé cómo voy a explicar. La orquesta de instrumentos reciclados es una orquesta que toca instrumentos hechos con la basura. Un, dos, tres. Y mi vida sería... Sin la música estaría decoreíble. La gente se da cuenta que no tenemos que tirar la basura muy fácilmente. Y no tenemos que desechar a las personas muy fácilmente. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Um... I remember when I first saw that, I, I was incredibly moved. I mean, I must have been sitting on my couch, moved to tears, just seeing the hope that is found. He, uh, the Fabio Chavez says something at the end there. He says, you know, we shouldn't be so careless in throwing away trash. He said, we also shouldn't be so careless in throwing away people. And uh, we've been talking about Jesus inside out I think sometimes what happens is that we focus so much on the outside that that's what really determines how we live our lives and how we present ourselves. And we come, you know, we go on social media and we present the best part of ourselves. We never present the bad, the ugly. We talked about last week, right? Like we never take a picture of us arguing on the way to church in the van and say, look at us, we're not getting along today. That's not what we post on Facebook, right? We always post the best of us. We come into a place like this and we always want to present the best part of us. And oftentimes we can get away with that. But what we have been talking about in this series is Jesus is most concerned about what's on the inside of us. That there's value to be found there, even, even when the outside doesn't look all that great. And a physical example of that is playing beautiful music out of trash. 
And this is really what God is doing in our lives as well. One of the ways that God accomplishes his mission here on earth is that he works in us. He works in us. And when he works in us, as he works in us, he then is able to work through us to accomplish his mission on this earth. And that we need to be focusing in on the part of him working in us. Again, too often, we focus in on everything else external. Like, God, use me in all these places, but we're not really focusing in on the internal parts of us. And so we talked about this, right? So, so he wants to work in us, but for, us to, for him to work in us, we've got to recognize that we're broken people. You and I are broken people. And it's an acknowledgement of our brokenness. Psalm 51 talks about this. It says, the sacrifices that God wants is a broken and contrite heart. That's what God is looking for in us. Not looking for the pretty external necessarily. He's looking for a heart that's broken and contrite. And so we illustrated this the first week with the glow sticks. Remember, I asked the question. I was trying to rack my brain. What is useful when it's broken? Because in our culture, when it's broken, we throw it away. All right? What is useful when it's broken? Well, a glow stick is useful when it's broken, right? A glow stick, in fact, is useless when it's not broken. It doesn't do its job. But when it's broken, the light shines. And our, our commitment, as we've been talking about as a, as a church community, our commitment is to be those people, those people that have been made whole. But the way we've been made whole is we've come through the, through the, through the doorway of, of brokenness. We've contri- we we're contrite, we've humbled ourselves, and now God is making us whole again. And as we become those people, what happens? The light of the gospel shines brightly in our community. And that's what we've been talking about. So we talked about that the first week. Last week, we talked about our need to humble ourselves, that this is really a pathway towards greatness, a pathway towards being lifted up. This week, as we finish this series, for God to really work through us, we will need to empty ourselves. We will need to empty ourselves. He wants to fill us up. He does. But for him to fill us up, we have to come to him empty. And here's what you need to hear hear me say this morning, because you hear me say it today, and and, and I'm going to say it a hundred times today. God loves to fill what is empty. I know. I I hear the gears going, wait a minute. I don't know. what, What are you talking about, Rich? We'll get to that in a minute. But God loves to fill what is empty. It's his delight to fill what is empty. An example of this is found in 2 Kings chapter 4 where it's the story of Elisha and this poor widow who has two sons. And, and so she, this widow comes to Elisha and says, the creditors have come. They're going to take my two sons. They're going to enslave them because I can't pay my bills. And so Elisha tells her, hey, I've got a plan for you. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to get as many jars as you can, and God, God is going to fill them up with oil. God's going to do it. You're going to be able to fill those jars up with oil, then you're going to sell the oil, and that oil is going to pay all your debts, and you'll be able to live through this famine, all right? And so she starts filling up these jars of oil, and, they, and they're, getting, they're getting filled, they're getting filled, they're getting filled, they're getting filled. Finally, get all the way to the last jar, and she asks one of her sons, hey, where's, bring me some more jars. And the son says, there's no more jars. And the Bible tells us that at that moment, the oil stopped flowing. There's nothing else empty to fill. And we learn something about the nature of God, that God loves to fill what is empty. God loves to fill what is empty. Now, if we bring to God a jar that's already full, what happens? It's full. There's no room, right? 
We can't add anything to it. We can't give any more to it, right? And so what's the role of the jar? Well, the role of the jar is to be filled. That's the role. The jar doesn't fill itself. It just puts itself in a position to be filled. And you and I, listen to me, you and I, we are jars in this journey of faith. Every one of us in this room, we're jars. Now, you could be a full jar, you can be an empty jar, but we are jars. And so here's a question I want to ask to help us frame up this, this message. What's the only thing that's true of a jar for it to be filled? You can answer. It's not a hard question. It's got to be empty. It's got to be empty. If it's not, then it can't be filled. What's the only thing that's true of a jar in order for it to be filled? It must be empty. Now, some of you, you walked in here this morning and you're empty. And maybe not by your own desire, not because you tried tried it that way. Maybe life has been flipped upside down for you. Things have not gone well and you've been poured out, and you've walked into this room, and you are just desperate, and you're in need, and I just want you to know that Jesus smiles at that and says, great, I can feel that. Others of you, though, on the other hand, you walked in, and your jar is full. Frankly, you don't even really want to be here. Like, you got things to do. You're, you're, you know, you, your, your life is full with all kinds of other things, material successes, romantic relationships, all kinds of other things. And you'd rather not be here today. And so God says, well, okay, great. You're here, but you're just not in a posture to be filled. God loves to fill what is empty. And we see story after story of this in the Bible. In John 6, Jesus feeds this multitude. Remember the multitude the, with, the two, lo- with the, two bre- the two fish and the five loaves of bread? And he basically breaks it and fills this multitude. I love how that passage ends. It says, and they all went home satisfied. They came hungry and they went home satisfied. You see this with the woman at the well. She's an outcast. She's been married multiple times. She's thirsty, thirsty, thirsty for more. And she leaves that place and Jesus fills her soul. We see this in the house of Jairus. Jairus' daughter has died. They feel hopeless. They feel empty. They feel a loss. But Jesus comes and fills that house with joy as he raises them back to life again. We see this with the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. I mean, she's completely empty. She's been caught. She doesn't, she has no excuse. She's lying there naked. She's about to get stoned to death by, these, by this religious mob. But she lives, leaves there satisfied and filled with hope because Jesus fills those things that are empty. He loves to fill what's empty. We're gonna look at a parable today. It's a lesser known parable. It's found in Luke chapter 14. It's the parable of the great banquet. <clears throat> I want to set the stage a little bit. This is another one of those events where Jesus is at a Pharisee's house having a meal, okay? And and if you recall from the last one we talked about, uh, Jesus just, you you just know that when Jesus is at a Pharisee's house having a meal, there's going to be some exciting things happening, right? Like Jesus loved to pick on them. 
He just loved to ruffle their feathers a little bit, right? So in this particular case, he's sitting at this Pharisee's table. He's there for a banquet. He's there for a meal. And, um, and a, a sick man comes in. Now it's the Sabbath. And according to their religious rules, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. It was considered work. And you don't work on the Sabbath, so you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus knows this, and he knows that this Pharisee's here, and this Pharisee's half-hearted anyways. He's like, I just have to do this. You know, rabbi's in town. I got to make sure he gets fed. And so he invites Jesus to eat at his house on the Sabbath, but he's not really into it. But then this sick man walks in, and he's empty, and he needs something. And so Jesus heals this sick man, and the man is made whole again. And I love it because I could just, I have this image in my head of Jesus doing this, like he's looking around at all the religious leaders and he lays hands on this sick man and says, hey, you're made whole again. And then he kind of looks back at those guys and like, okay, now what do you got to say? You know, I could, just, I could just imagine this. This is what Jesus is doing, right? He's just sitting back. He's going to see what happens next. And so we read in, in Luke chapter 14 that the Pharisees were watching intently. In other words, they were looking at him with a critical eye. They were trying to figure out a way how to trap him in what he was doing or what he was saying. They were trying to get him to, to say something he shouldn't have said that was blasphemous and maybe, maybe then accuse him and he would be legally tried. And so they're there. They're not really there with an empty jar. They're not, I mean, they're, they're in the presence of the Savior of the world. But they're not empty. They're full of themselves. They're full of their own self-righteousness. They're full of what they think is right. And this happens these days as well. We have people who come to church, and they come to church with an empty jar. They're desperate. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're looking for something that will satisfy. And again, like I said, Jesus smiles on that because he loves to fill what is empty. And then there are people who walk in and they're just cynical. They're critical. They're just there because, yeah, we'll see, we're going to judge this. And so it was true then, it's true today. And that's what's happening. So here's what, the point I'm trying to make. That at this banquet table, there are all kinds of people. There are people who come empty and people who come full. And the question to ask today of us is, are you empty or are you full? Are you empty or are you full? <clears throat> now, Jesus tells this parable of the great banquet, and throughout Scripture you find this. The great banquet is actually a metaphor for the place where God addresses the deepest needs of his people. That's what a banquet, you know, typically as you read about this great banquet, it's always alluding to something. You see that, you see that like in the, in, the, in the Last Supper, you know, the Passover meal. You see it in the Marriage Supper of the Lamb in Revelations. Banquets are these places where God meets the deep needs of his people. Where people come with empty cups, empty jars, and say, God, will you fill me? But as we see in this parable, we're going to see in this parable, there's also other people around the table. People who come who are full of themselves, full of pleasure, full of other things, work, relationships, and everything else. And so this is what Jesus talks about in this banquet. Luke 14. <clears throat> It says, a man prepared a great feast. This is in response to them kind of saying, wait, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, right? So Jesus tells this parable. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready, 
But they all began to make excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and, it mu- and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife and she won't let me. That's not what they said. It's not actually what it said. That's what it said. That's what, wrote, that's what I had in my notes. Okay, I don't think it said that. Anyways, no, I just got married. <laughs> I, just, I just got married so I can't come. Verse 21 says, the servant returned and told his master that, they, that what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still, more, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone you, you find to come so that the house will be full. So let me just stop there for a second. God has a premium on having a full house. He wants people to come and he wants to satisfy them. That's the desire. That's what this master's trying to do. He's trying to, he's trying to put a big feast out to a full house. But there are those who make excuses. So Jesus here talks about a master. He's a king type. And then he has a servant that he sends out to, to invite people to this banquet. And the servant represents actually the son of God. It's exactly what God did with us. He sent his son. Jesus Christ, to this earth to invite you and I into a relationship with the Father. In other words, invite us into a relationship where you and I, our deepest needs are met and satisfied. People are invited, but apparently they're not very hungry, (laughs) right? They all begin to make excuses like they were gonna come, but now they're not gonna come. Things have come up. And so they're not, and they make excuses. And, And, you know, you can tell they're kind of polite about it. They're not angry about it or mean about it. And the excuses seem very legitimate. Well, the first one is this. Three excuses are given. Here's the first one. I bought a field. I bought a field. It's a reference to personal gain. It's like this guy says, hey, I just bought a house. I know you want me to come over, but I just bought this house. And you know, this house is going to kind of consume me now. So I can't, I, can't, I can't go to the invitation that you've invited me to. Like this house right now, let me just say more, more directly, this house is curbing my appetite a little bit. This is satisfying me, satisfying me a little bit more than what this other thing is going to do. If you pay attention to commercials on TV, you'll see that advertisers, when they advertise, they advertise from this position where they, they have this presumption of emptiness. Like they presume that the people that are watching are empty, and they're looking to be filled. And they'll say things like, hey, if you just had this in your life, you would be more fulfilled. If you just had that in your life, you'd be, if you just drove this car, you would be happy and satisfied. If you just had this house, you'd be happy. If you just went on this vacation, you would be happy and satisfied. If you ate this kind of food, you'd be happy and satisfied. If you drank this kind of beverage, you would be happy and satisfied. And they, that's how they advertise. And I'm, you know, I, don't, I get it. It's not really their fault. The truth is is that we live in a very consumer-based culture. And basic definition of a consumer-based culture is that happiness and success is directly related to this ever, ever increasing consumption of goods. And we, we in the West are the epitome. We're consuming all the time. And so for me to feel good, I just need to consume more. I just need to consume more. If I don't feel happy, 
then I just need to consume more. If I don't feel successful, then I just need to consume more than that person who seems to be successful. And it's just this idea we're constantly, constantly consuming. And then this, like, this has always existed. We're this is part of the, the fallen nature of humans. But then with the advent of the internet, this has just exponentially grown. Now you just log on, and because of the algorithm, algorithms of your of the social networks of your internet you're on, the algorithms already know what you like. So literally, you log on, and you press buy now. Right? There's somebody laughing because you're guilty of it. My wife's guilty. No, I'm not, she's not guilty of it. I'm more guilty of it than she is. Right? And then once we get whatever we wanted, well... We, we want more because we, we, we buy now at such a good price and we realize that, well, that was last year's version and I really want this year's version, so that's just not enough anymore. I need to get the next year's version. And we're constantly, constantly consuming and we want to feel full, but we're just constantly consuming, consuming, consuming. And it's just not fully satisfying. There's a huge difference between being full and being fulfilled. We'll keep consuming and consuming. We'll feel full, but we will not be satisfied because it doesn't last very long. Mother Teresa talks about this a little bit. She says, the spiritual poverty of the Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people in Calcutta. Now, I've been in Calcutta many times, and I've seen extreme, extreme, extreme poverty. People who live on $15 a month don't have a house, they live on the side of the street, extreme poverty. So for her to say this, it's pretty, it's pretty telling. She says, you in the West have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. Like this is a, a disease that we have. We're just empty, right? And so we consume and consume because we think if we could just consume a little bit more, then we will feel full. We won't feel empty. Second excuse given is, I bought five oxen. So this is a reference to work and responsibility. Um, it's not that this guy didn't want to go. This guy wanted to go, but he just, he just expanded his business. You know, He bought five oxen, you know, and you just got to try them out. And some of you that are farmers, you understand that, right? Like if there's a cow that's calving, you just can't like, you know, I can't leave it. I've got to take care of it. Right? And this is really how this guy, he's still a little bit conflicted, right? So he's got this investment, he's invested in his auction, and he needs, he needs to keep at it. He needs to stay busy because it's a busy, busy season. His schedule is full, his calendar's full. So thank you for the invitation, but I can't go right now because I have a full schedule. One of the things I've realized is that, and this is, this is true, it's even true of me, that when we ask somebody, hey, how's it going? Um, the default response has become, I'm busy. How you doing? Oh, just so busy. Hey, how's it going? Man, it is crazy busy around here, right? And we get to a place where we say it almost with a little bit of a pride. Like, I'm, I'm busy. And here's what I think has happened. I think what's happened is that we have replaced busyness with, we have replaced our emptiness with busyness, We, we can't even imagine what it, what it means to not be busy because if we, if we get to a place where we're not busy, then what are we going to do with all this emptiness? 
And so in our consumer-based culture, it's not just goods and products that we consume, but we also consume entertainment and information. We're constantly filling our minds with information, entertainment. The average American will spend about, will spend about uh, 1,000 hours a year watching television. That means that by the time they're 65 years old, they would have watched 10 years of TV. And now with the advent of mobile technologies, it's gotten actually worse now. Um, the average person spends about five hours a day connected to the internet watching a screen. Okay? That means that from this digital age that we're in, by the time we're 65, and me, I'm almost 65, I'm closer to 65, so it won't be me, but those of you that are young, by the time you're 65, you would have been staring at a screen for more than 25 years of your life. Research says that 80% of smartphone users check their phones within the first 15 minutes of waking up. Don't raise your hand, but some people raise their hand. <laughs> I just heard a new term this week, actually. Uh, I, I was uh, kind of looking over this message, and somebody said something, and, I, and they said, they said they, they use the term toilet texter. I'm like, toilet texter? Really? Like, that's gross. Like, if you text from the toilet, please don't text me. <laughs> text somebody else, you know, but don't text me, right? But it's the epitome of what I'm talking about. That literally, literally, we don't even have time to relieve ourselves. We're working constantly. And this culture has kind of led to that. And maybe, just maybe, what's happening is that we're afraid of the emptiness. The third person gives this excuse. He says, well, I just got married. So Jesus, you know, I mean, come on. You, you, you're, you, you established marriage. <laughs> I just got married. I, thank you for the invitation. But at this table over here, they're serving romance. And they're serving love. There's wedding cake <laughs> over there. And uh, it's awesome. I'm so happy. I just want that. So thank you for inviting me, but I think I'm going to get my satisfaction over here. So a movie came out several years ago, many years ago, I guess. I don't remember how long. It's called uh, Jerry Maguire. How many of you know the movie Jerry Maguire? You can raise your hand so I make sure the audience knows. Okay, you know the movie Jerry Maguire. Uh, it's not that great of a movie, but um, sorry if you like it, but not that great. It's a romantic comedy. And uh, Jerry Maguire is played by, uh, by Tom Cruise. And Jerry Maguire is like NFL, you know, fast-paced NFL agent. He's trying to recruit people to, to play in the NFL. And he makes money by doing that, you know. And, and so, uh, and, but, but, but he's feeling very empty because he doesn't have a whole lot of clients. And he's really struggling. He's losing his clients. And he's just really struggling with his career. But then he meets Dorothy, who is played by Renee Zellweger. And he just falls in love with her, you know. And so the movie goes on. They have a kind of a rocky relationship at the beginning, but then things start, you know, happening. Chemistry starts happening between them. And then the movie culminates at this point where Jerry kind of stumbles into this, I don't know, it's like a women's group or something, you know. Their women are sitting around talking, and he stumbles in, and he says these words, you, that's right, you complete me. So everybody knows this. That's like one of these, the most popular lines in movie, you know, romantic lines in, in the movies. Yeah. You complete me. And then the movie Basically, shortly finishes, you know, and, and we leave, and, and you know, the movie ends, and we walk away with the impression that, wow, how romantic, how sweet she completed him. How many of you have been married for 10 years or more? Raise your hand. 
How many of you know that's not exactly true? <laughs> right? Like if this movie had continued on, like if the movie had just kept going after you completed me line, we would have discovered in the movie that actually she did not complete him. Because probably at some point she farted in the bed or something. I don't know, you know, and, 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 and he didn't like, it's like, I don't like this anymore. I'm not, you're, you're just, you were here, but you're kind of here now. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have used a different word. My, my wife is looking at me like she's got that smile like, eh. <laughs> you should have said that. <clears throat> what happens to a lot of us is that we, we think that someone else fulfills us. That he's going to complete me, that he's going to, that he's going to make me whole, that she's going to make me satisfied. And, um, and then it doesn't, right? And we go through this awkwardness where we're like, I feel this emptiness. I feel lost. I feel not happy, not satisfied like I thought I was going to be. So we then go to, well, it must be their fault. So something's wrong with them because I feel this way. And then that logic continues to flow. It's like maybe... Maybe, maybe I married the wrong person. Maybe there's somebody else out there that actually will satisfy me, that will fulfill me. Maybe that's what I need to do. And we go down this process, and it's no wonder that in America we're now well over 50% in, in divorce because, and we just do it for no cause. We have laws on the, on the books that say, hey, divorce, you don't even have to give a reason, just do it. The truth is, is it only really, really, only God satisfies. Only God fulfills. Only God can fill the emptiness that we all feel. So these invitations go out to the banquet. They're delivered. And the people respond with thanks, but no thanks. Like they're full already. They're full of, of work. They're full of shopping. They're full of relationships. They're full of food, eating. And so they don't really need to go. But see, Jesus is all about filling what is empty. He really is. And we see a lot of examples, a lot of metaphors. Like in John 6, he's called the bread of life because the, the large crowd, they walk away fully satisfied. And then he talks about this. I am, he says, I am the bread of life. Another metaphor is he's living water. Like there's water that you can drink and you'll be thirsty again. But when you drink this water, you will not be thirsty again. Because he satisfies, he truly does fulfill. And then there's like more concrete uh, examples of this filling. In fact, um, we read through the book of Acts of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like there was obviously an emptiness that they had and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them to overflowing and now they get to walk in power and walk in, in, in victory and deliverance. I mean, that's happening in there and we see multiple instances of this in the book of Acts. In fact, the apostle Paul commands, he kind of commands this in Ephesians 5. He says, it's kind of interesting how he puts it, but he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. <laughs> Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he juxtaposes these two, these two ideas. Like we could be full of wine and alcohol over here, but then there's no room. There's no room for the Holy Spirit or we can be empty of that and be over here and be full of the Holy Spirit. And he challenges with that. Sometimes I think we, we think that alcohol will do for us what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us. 
Alcohol is going to comfort me. It's going to make me feel better. It's going to give me courage. It's going to help me sleep at night. It's going to give me peace. And all the while, the Holy Spirit says, listen, I can give those things to you as well. I can fill you with those things as well. And the difference between the two is that this one's not very long-lasting. This one is truly satisfying. And so we come into a place like this, and we're holding up something. We're holding up our jar. We're holding up our cup. But it's already full. It's already full. But Jesus is here. And he wants to fill you. But your cup is full. So what's required? We empty it. We empty it. It's interesting because uh, Paul uses this word in Ephesians 5. He uses this word, the word be filled. The, the Greek word is plerusle. And I know you're like, okay, Rich, enough of that stuff. I get it. But um, it's, it's, it's interesting to know the, the tense in which this is written. It's written in the present passive imperative form, which basically means this. Imperative means it's a command. Like Paul's not saying, hey, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, go ahead and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. He said, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, period. It's a command. It's in a present tense, which essentially means that it's ongoing. It's, like it, it's not like you get filled and then you're filled forever. It means that you're in this ongoing process where, you are, where you're emptying yourself and then you're receiving and filling. You're emptying yourself and you're receiving filling. You're emptying yourself. It's this ongoing thing. I'm constantly, and we struggle with this. See, sometimes we know that we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We got it 25 years ago, then we don't think about it anymore. But it's, it's in the present tense. It means it needs to be happening on regular. But then here's the, the interesting piece. It's passive. Which means you don't do it. You don't make it happen. This is talking about a posture. It's talking about how you put yourself in a place to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like you prepare yourself to be in a position to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so how do we do that? Well, it starts with emptying ourselves. We start praying this on a regular basis. God, will you empty me of me? Fill me with you. Empty me of me and fill me with you. When I first became a Christian, um, you know, I had that roller coaster Christian walk, you know, where I was like serving Jesus, then living like I was living before I gave my life to Jesus. Then I was back and up and back and up, you know. And I was working for a security company at the time and we'd get off three o'clock in the morning and drive home from there. And I had this old Honda Civic with uh, a cord, sorry, with a, um, this magnetic thing that said network security attached to my, <laughs> to my car. And so I was driving home one night and I was feeling the just incredible amount of loss. Like, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want somehow to overcome this. I want to be past this. Like I tried, I want to serve you, but I just keep going back to the same old stuff. And I knew that what was happening there is that God was just waiting for me to finally fully surrender to him so that he can empty me. I mean, fully empty myself so he can then fill me. And so I'm driving on this highway, Interstate 20, coming back from Arlington, Texas, towards Duncanville, where my parents lived, my mother lived. And um, so I'm driving there, and 
I put in a, you know, some of you young people are like, what is he talking about? Cassette tape. I had a cassette tape. You stick the cassette tape in there and you play one side and you flip it, plays the other side. Of course, I had the modern cassette player because it would flip automatically. Um, So I put this cassette tape of Keith Green and this song started playing. Rushing wind. Rushing wind blow, blow through this vessel. Let me read it. I don't words, I've got them right here. I used to know all the songs by heart, but I'm almost 69. I'm forgetting a lot of things. So um, lyrics of rushing wind. Rushing wind blow through this temple, blowing out the dust within. Come and breathe your breath upon me. I've been born again. Holy Spirit, I surrender. Take me where you want to go. Plant me by your living water. Plant me deep so I can grow. And I remember hearing that on the radio in, the, in my cassette player in the car and just bawling and weeping because I knew what I needed to do. I needed to empty myself of me. I say, God, I'm just here. I just need you. I remember, I'll never forget that moment because I pulled over on the side of the highway just so I could just cry my eyes out and say, God, I confess, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. And then a state, I saw the red lights. A state trooper pulled up behind me. (laughs) He comes and knocks on my window. He's like, "Uh, son, you know you're not supposed to be parked on the side of the highway here. I'm like, yes, sir. And I'm just like wiping tears off. He's like, what's wrong? You okay? Get out of the car, you know. So I get out of the car, walk around. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm trying to explain to him, you know, I'm just, I'm a Christian, and I'm just not living for Jesus like I need to be living for Jesus. And I'm talking like that, you know, just kind of confessing to this state trooper. And, and he's just kind of looking at me. You know, state troopers have that look. I don't know if there's any state troopers here, but they've got that look like just blank. And he says, well, son, I'm gonna, you just need to go, but let me pray for you. And he prayed for me on the side of the road there. I say that story because that was a moment of change for me. It was a moment where I realized that I want what God has for me. And I know that you want what God has for you. you I know you do. But there's this competing value in the world that we're in that says, I can find what I need to satisfy me here and there and over there. And so I'm going to grab some of that. I'm going to grab some of this. I'm going to fill myself with that. And then we walk through life not satisfied. Not satisfied. Wanting to be filled. Not really realizing that what God really wants for us to do is to empty ourselves of ourselves and say, God, fill me with what you have for me. Amen? And I believe that that's what God wants to do in your heart this morning. Let's all stand. We're going we're gonna to close in prayer <clears throat> and some worship. We have prayer teams here in the left and right and just encourage you that if you're here, don't leave this place. Listen, don't come in here empty with an empty spirit, longing for something to be filled, to fill you, longing for that. Don't come in here like that and then walk out after I've given you an invitation to come up for prayer because some people want to pray with you for you to be filled, okay? So will you do that? And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you heard me talk for the last 35 minutes, you're like, bro, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, Maybe the emptiness that you're feeling is that you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus and he wants to he wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. He wants to set you free. He wants to fill you. 
So it's just a matter of saying, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Today, I surrender my life to you. And you can do that right now. And if that's you, if you've never given your life to Christ before, we'd love to walk that journey with you. We don't, we, you know, I could ask you to raise your hand. We don't ask you to raise your hand. We just simply ask you to do a very concrete thing. There's a card in front of there, in your in the seat back in front of you, like this. Welcome home card. And it says at the very bottom of the back, today I decided for the first time to follow Jesus. And that's you. If you're here today, today for the first time, you're making that decision. Will you fill this card out? You could put it in the black box in the back. You could take it to the Welcome Center. You could take it up to one of our prayer team members. They'd love to pray with you as well. But we want to walk this journey with you, okay? So let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for who you are and for what you're doing in this place. Lord, we, we, we feel this conviction that we are broken, that we need to humble ourselves, but we need to empty ourselves of ourselves. We need to stop trying to find satisfaction in so many other parts of this world, in relationships and the things that we purchase and the, the jobs that we have. Lord God, help us, Father, to find true satisfaction in you and you alone. So t today, Jesus, as a community, we just empty ourselves of ourselves and we ask you to fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.